Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast with me, Annabelle. We're back for the summer and I'm so excited to present the interviews that I've got coming up for you over the next few weeks. And so we're starting off with an interview that I recorded with opera and music theatre director, musician and singer Thomas Guthrie. Having watched a lot of opera and theatre myself, I personally found this really, really intriguing to learn what being a director entails, particularly for opera and music theatre, and also to learn as well about, you know, how one manages, how one um, interacts with not only the creative team as a director, but also how one manages and interacts with one's colleagues. I'm sure that many of you know that Tom is a wonderful singer, and so he very much comes to directing with that performer's perspective. But we do also talk in the interview as well about approaching directing from the other side, and I suppose distancing oneself as a performer. This interview, well, was literally organised on the day with a few hours notice. He was actually singing in a concert in Temple Church and so he had a little bit of time to spare to talk to me between the rehearsal and the performance. So I would just like to say a really big thank you to Catherine Hare at Orchid Media for very kindly arranging this interview at very short notice (laughs) and also to Tom for uh, taking the time out of his schedule to talk to me. So I know that there are lots of singers and musicians who've had the opportunity to work with Tom over the years and so I think if you're a singer, if you're someone who's interested in opera, in music theatre, whether that's as a performer or as an audience member, as an observer, or if you're someone who's perhaps interested in having a career as an opera director, then I think that you're going to find this interview very fascinating and beneficial. So grab a cuppa and enjoy for the next half an hour or so this interview with Thomas Guthrie. Well, it's a, in a sense for me, of course, one always looks back and it seems a very straightforward, direct path. Uh, but I did start as a chorister at St John, so music was uh, very much a part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, I'd, we'd, we'd had, you know, my parents, my father was a, a, an amateur horn player, a very mm-hmm. good one. Mm-hmm. And my mother used to sort of play, to play the piano a little bit. And we had Radio 3 on in the background. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was about the extent of, of, of the musical training I had as a child. But there was very much part of, of our lives. And I remember my sister and I used to have uh, favourite pieces that we were quite competitive with. And mine was Mozart's 40th Symphony. Okay. That was a bit precocious now. Yeah, yeah. So we used to kind of compete about that. And I, I, I still adore that piece. But I, I remember also looking back and realising that I used to make up stories to it. Okay. So I think that that was also the beginning of interest in being a director mm-hmm. and, and the idea of storytelling through music. But as I say, I was a chorister and then I uh, carried on singing and then I went back to Cambridge as a, as a choral scholar at Trinity. And it was there that I really got the bug to, to study singing, to work at singing and I used mm-hmm. to be uh, madly in, in love with Gerard Souzet, a French uh, baritone, particularly one from the 1950s and, and mm-hmm. early 60s. And I even wrote to him, I think he was in, in Paris, and uh, he was very elderly by then, and, and I got a lovely reply back, but he wasn't able to take 
private pupils. And then I mm. worked as a singer for many years, and then and then I sort of got a bit fed up with 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 directors, and I, and I wasn't I thought I could do better, but I did f at all. But I, f I felt that there was a certain amount of lack of knowledge and care about what it was like to be a singer. And I had a very strict training at the Royal Northern College of Music mm -hmm. as a singer, and very strict on on stagecraft, on 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 how you communicate physically, which had really pulled me up by my socks you know really, really I really had to learn a, a lot there and I and I did and, and then I found that in the business there wasn't that same care really that same knowledge so yeah I've actually got the opportunity to do some directing myself I've made a, a, my big mouth and, and they gave me a chance <laughs> and then and then uh, yeah went, went on from there. So how was it then making the transition from being a singer to a, a director? Well, it, it, I still sing, and I still I still consider myself a performer and musician. So, of course, yes. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> it's concert tonight. Yeah, well, but I but I directing is really uh, it's such a heart of, it. and and I I really feel that that, that the communication of, of text and music together and storytelling through music is the same whether you're a singer or a director. And of course, there's a different you're sitting on a different side of the divide in a way. But it's the same, same purpose, the same intention, and the same. So I find it enormously helpful to do both still. And for me, it's a very, it's a very simple, simple thing to, 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 to do. It doesn't feel like I've changed what I'm doing. Um, it's just working in a slightly different way, and and it, and it uses a bit more of my, my person. I suppose my all around, a bit more of my brain. Okay. Yeah. 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 My teacher was in your production of the Zelda Flitter many, many years ago. Wow. Well, uh, you were Papagena, right. and oh she was goodness. playing. I was just wondering, I mean, um, how do you find then, you know, yes. if you're a, a singer, but then you're also a director at the same time? Yeah. I mean, how does that well, come I about? Yeah, then? I don't think it's necessarily a good idea. I, I, did, I wouldn't necessarily do that again. Okay. Although I'm about to do a Dido in... in in Norway, where oh, I'm doing a small part in that. Okay. As well. um, but that's. I think they're very. Those are very. And the Magic Flute was also a very specific set of circumstances that made it possible. And that both in both instances, it's a company of people I know already very well, and who. Uh, so and and they're wonderful actual company, real company feeling. So we could break down some of those boundaries a little yeah, bit. Yeah, break down the fourth wall, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. And, I think, and I think, actually, Papagena was a good role to do it because he's like, can be slightly outside the action. Yeah. And we did it with Fairy Queen and I was the drunken poet in that, which is also, oh, okay. which is also possible. I think it was thanks to my colleagues, really, that it was possible at all. So I wonder, where, where do you get your inspiration? Then I know it's quite an open yes. question, no, but I mean, do you see the music as your first priority or is it the text design or the stagecraft or, I mean, what comes first? In your... uh, the story, I think, mm -hmm. for me, I, I think that the music is, is extremely inspiring in terms of, of, of wanting to, to give it the best platform. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if it's a piece that I feel I can understand and, and, and empathise with. We've just done Marriage of Figure at the Opera House and that's of course oh, okay. one of the best, uh, Amazing. best best operas and one yeah. of the best stories and, and there you absolutely want to give the music clarity and and a, a, cent a central part in the storytelling that you that you think it should have but at the same time you have to understand that Mozart started also with the story 
first with the Beaumarchais and then with, with the Daponte libretto, which he would have worked on as well. But the, it existed, and that's what inspired him. And he, in a sense, was the first director. I sometimes think it's important to feel that, that the, the story's been directed once by a composer. In other words, it's been given certain parameters that you have to understand, but you can't just take the music and, and try and stage up. Well, you could, you could do anything. I mean, you could do that if you wanted. But for me, it's really important to understand what the music's trying to say. And that means mm-hmm. you have to start with the story, start with the text, and then t- take on board the music so I feel, I feel they're both very inspirational but the central point has to be the the story what you're trying to communicate to an audience what what you're trying to do in this storytelling opera it, that's what it is it's it's not pure music if it was pure music there's plenty of symphonies there are plenty of quartets that's not what Mozart wants that's no. not what Monteverdi wants we've just done our fair it's the same yeah. thing and actually you do hear people say especially with some productions which which can be felt to be a distraction and sometimes they can be with even with the best intentions uh, they, they, they have a tendency to think that they can that it, they just want the music and I think that's a mistake you mm-hmm. have to you have to come expecting a storytelling experience and, and, and a particularly emotional wonderful visceral one if it's an opera but it has to be storytelling that's the thing for me mm. and I think also when you read some reviews of productions as well I think sometimes the singers are a little bit unfairly judged as well you know you'll get critics who say this singer didn't quite sing perfectly yes. this singer didn't quite get the high yes. notes and yes. but that's not the point not you the know point. did they communicate exactly did they communicate a character, yeah. story did they communicate emotion I agree and they should be should have to they should be able to take risks exactly I think just going back to your question too that the the stage craft uh the the, the look of it the beauty of it and they're all really important to me, especially the stagecraft, the discipline about how we tell a story, you, you get people in a room and you have to respect them and you have to have a humility about what you're doing and a, and a sense of service about it, which, which means that their discipline is, is critical. You can't just go in there and express, express yourself the way you want, especially in an ensemble piece. Or, and they always are. They always are. There's not a single opera which isn't in some way, well, in some huge way, a team event. And, and I think that's so. That's critical for me too. So everything that you asked is critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the end, as yeah. long as the storytelling and the music are, 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 are not compromised. Okay. So what do you do then in order to get your colleagues to tell the story? In order to get them to to take risks. I mean, how many of them are willing to open up during the rehearsal process? Or um, I don't know. I mean, please tell me. It's a good, it's a good, really good question. You know, hopefully everybody comes to those rehearsals wanting the same things. Mm-hmm. But everybody's different, and everybody's a different stage. Everyone has a different level of natural ability, mm-hmm. and it's my job, or the job of any director or the, of the team, the creative team, to, to to put people at their ease, but give them the help that they need while maintaining that kind of high standard. It's it's that's why going back to the, the reason I started this that's why I think it's so important the directors do have a, a really ideally a profound understanding of stagecraft of what it is that an actor does to be successful you know those the ancient skill of, of rhetoric of, of mm, speech mm, making those mm. are, it's an ancient art of communicating with your voice and your body to persuade someone of something to move them to, mm, to affect them mm, the, but that's, that's a, it's almost a science from, from classical times and then in the renaissance and the idea that the director should be unaware of that of, of, or, or, or blasé about that in some way or, or not care and certainly there are many that work in, in different ways of course uh, and leave leave all that up, just up to the singer it's not, not my way but I do think that there are many ways of doing it and every single person every single singer on the stage needs, needs in a way their own help and some need no help at all and some need mm-hmm. to be really 
given some discipline and some need to be really encouraged to be free and 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 that can be make for a really interesting uh, process yeah but yeah. Uh, but it's one of the things i love it's a fascinating fascinating yeah. element yeah so i mean will you have discussion about you know the characters and their intentions you know will you do exercises during the rehearsals it very, very much depends on the group and the people it should be a lot of a lot of discussion at the same time there very rarely is time real time to, to, to indulge in that too much and there needs to be this empathetic approach from the director where there's also very clear leadership about how this production is going to work how what people need to get in behind and and, and, and follow through on to make the best of what they can give. I think that there is a lot of discussion in terms of exercise, sort of younger and a more less formed yeah. group of formers that you might be working with. The easier that is to do, if you're dealing with an with a international star who's 60, in his 60s and has done the part several, several times before, you need very few words. Okay. And a very few, it would be presumptuous to do too much. That they, they they come used to to fitting into new productions ideally, and they so so it depends very much on on who you're with. Sometimes exercises can be extremely helpful, but I, for me it's a responsive thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go in thinking I'm going to this is how I'm going to make this character work. I, I need yeah. to work with the singers and I need to work with the people in the room. And if there's a thing that an idea that I get at one point that which I think this will really help, of course, mm-hmm. of course I'll do it. You need to put an open mind on all those things. I think anything that that helps achieve the right level of storytelling yeah. clarity you should explore if the time allows yeah yeah it's interesting can i just say annabelle that there's interesting one of the interesting things that i'm i talk to people i find myself talking a lot about at the moment is is this idea of previews mm. theater has previews yeah yeah and what that means is it's not just a, a, an opportunity to to get an audience in and get the performers used to an audience but you then go back into the rehearsal room. That's right, yeah. And, and it yeah. affects what you they, do. They have yeah. it in musicals as well, and don't they? So, they do. yeah. Fact, I mean, apart from opera and ballet, every form of... Well, I'm not sure there are many other forms, actually. No. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but essentially, it's it's an odd thing that opera doesn't. And, it, it, and I think it's a, I think it's a, it's actually a problem which is central. Even, sounds grand to say it, to the survival yeah. of opera as a form. Because if you don't have previews, what happens is you don't get back into the rehearsal room after an audience has been. Yeah. And then singers go back to what they are comfortable with. They will try and get laughs. Then you might get a certain amount of laughter from an audience. Yeah. You, the discipline can go very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then a director who works with that starts to think, how am I going to survive myself? Because the show can't be good in the way necessarily that I want it to be. So, mm-hmm. And then they come up with these wilder concepts. And they yeah. try and make an impression themselves. And then the design is the same. And suddenly you get a spectacular thing that might look amazing. But there's no real human no truth. Substance. No substance. Yeah, no, no totally, truth to it, no totally. proper theory. No proper story they're just kind of you know doing all the crazy stuff for the sake of it do you know what I mean to try and make yeah. it to shock to yeah. try and make an impression and their career is dependent and I don't blame them in a sense for one minute it's the system it's the way we do it which needs an overhaul and, and it needs it need, we, or at least it needs to be discussed it needs to be it needs to be brought out this this idea how do we make sure that our storytelling is clear to the audience you have to take risks to be good to be real to be so how if it, if, it, if you find out very quickly it doesn't work if you have a singer who's playing for laughs and you and you find that the audience doesn't laugh quite as much as they could, of course, because if you play for laughs, they're unlikely to be the right kind of laughs, <laughs> then you can say to the singer and you can work through and say, do you see how that didn't work? Mm-hmm. And, and how, actually, if you played the situation for real, you would have a much higher success rate. Then mm-hmm. Everybody wins. And, I, and I, I, I can think of ways that it could be done, although it's a big overhaul. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, just going back to that whole idea of just acting, that some actors maybe don't need to have as much coaching as others. Have you seen that clip on YouTube of Thomas Allen where he's, um, I think he's playing the Count in Figaro and he's at Covent Garden and he literally has to step in at like half an hour's notice for Jeffrey Black. No, I haven't seen Oh, you've got to watch it. It's amazing. It. it is amazing. And he actually, he just... He just bosses it. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Her yeah. bosses it is a good yeah. thing. I've worked with, with Tom quite, quite a bit, actually. I mean, not, not very many times, but a few times. I, I, I'm a big fan of his and we get on very well. Yeah. But he said that his, his, his eye-opening moment was when someone told him that he had to go on stage and dominate people. Okay. And it was such an interesting because he suddenly gave him this action to do, this, yeah. which is a very actorly thing to do. So. Yeah. Your friend Toby was talking about how, you know, how important it was as a singer to actually really consciously claim the limelight and to actually mm. deliberately mm. be the star and to take yes. the stage and yes. not to be self-conscious is yes. that something that you yes. instill in your colleagues as well that's a very interesting point of view i think i understand it completely i think it's uh, good of course every, uh, that goes back to us, us talking about everyone being different mm. and and one wouldn't absolutely wouldn't want i don't think this is what toby's saying at all anyone encourage anyone to, to show off uh, there's a there's a much more of a craft to it but you too have to be brave and you have to stand there and be the character. You mm-hmm. have to be, and to sing in front of all those people with your, the vulnerable thing it that is your thing. voice. Yeah. You have to, you have to, enormous courage and I have enormous respect for Toby and everybody who, who does that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, have, I have so much respect for these singers as well. And the things that they have to do, and I was thinking, you know, in these other flutter as well, you know, your production, the things that you were getting the singers to do, I mean, the comic timing and the, depth of emotion that you hmm. I mean how did you do it <laughs> <laughs> well there's them too don't forget and Mozart and you know these these and hopefully one with honesty one one and asking the right questions to one helps to empower people to do it and one hopes humbly to be able to do that I think that in terms of the, the comic timing things there are there are there's a discipline about it which is not that difficult to to know from the outside mm-hmm. we all know when something's funny yeah. maybe we have to study it a bit to work to be sure why to be sure that we can help people to find it but but actually you know you can't make a crown without jewels and the jewels are the singers you know okay okay so yeah you might you might put them in a nice order and help them okay look good, but they you know they have to yeah, it's okay. a team, team thing. Okay. So would you say that you are a bit of a comedian yourself and that, you know, maybe you, because you're talking quite a lot about comedy and getting laughs out of um, your, your <laughs> yes, performers, yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> would you say that or <laughs> I don't know? Oh, uh, yeah, I've always... No, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I find that funny. It's only that my, I'm sure that most of my friends and my family would, would have a view on that. I think... It, if you make people cry and laugh, you're, you're doing good storytelling, aren't you? So it's, mm. it's crucial. Also, I think we're talking about laughter as, as well as an example of, of something that's tempting for a singer and mm-hmm. tempting for a director, for tempting for everybody to get laughs is kind of guarantees that people are listening, that they're involved, that they're, that they're responding in a kind of instinctive way. Tears are quieter. <laughs> so you're, you, you may not be so aware of them so and, and nearly everything that's great has laughter and tears and it doesn't is that is that a terrible generalization i mean shakespeare's a great example isn't it and, and mm. so is marriage of figaro mm. uh, it's incredibly serious themes and and, and elements of that's that that story but it's the humorous the sweetness that gets it through and and and, and you know we're, we're all human we all find the same things funny generally mm. 
So uh, I think it's a crucial thing. Who came up with the idea to, you know, in the scene where Papageno and Tamino, they're in that, they're trapped and, you know, they can't do anything, then they have to be silent. Um, yes. Who came up with the idea that Papageno was going to suddenly burst into the show and Malera? And was that your idea? <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was just genius. I mean... I think it came up, but I think Roddy is def- definitely Roddy's idea. Different little choices that can be made at a time like that. And, okay. And there are actually a limitless number of ones you could choose. Okay. And I, that, it's certainly true that we vetoed some of them. But yeah. No, no, that's, that's yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Animal well done for getting it. Not everyone would have got it. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? I, I thought that maybe... You know, it's the Royal Opera House, and they probably they know they lovely, know their music. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a, just a lovely idea that, that the Papageno would come up. Yeah, and, 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 and something that's so sort of uh, r- rustic. And yeah. it's, it's, was it Das Vandal? Yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 and then he just went crazy, and yeah, then yeah. just like started yes, dancing. That was yeah. just well, yeah, that yeah, and also the scene where he gets chased by Monostatos and his gang in that, you know, Benny yes, Hill yes. Was that your idea? No, that's well... Was that in the original revival? That was brilliant, honestly. That was hilarious. Mm. And I honestly did not realise, because I think a lot of people have... There's, there's certain stereotypes around magic flutes, and everyone's like, oh, it's magic flute, you know? Yes. I did not realise how witty and how clever and how just heartbreaking oh, it is. Yes. I mean, you know? It's a fabulous, it's amazing. It's a fabulous piece, yeah. And Demi Vickers' production is, is wonderful. Yeah. And, and I think it's... Yeah, I think that we, we just worked... We worked hard on it to, to, make it, to make it, as we said, you know, disciplined and, and, and clear. And then with the right performance, you know, you really, you really can get something that's that's good as it should be right? mm. yeah. so how long do you get in advance in order to prepare the productions and how much time do you get to research you know devise ideas for the performers that sort of thing um you yeah, know, I think it really, really depends on, yeah. on how much uh, how much time you you've been given i mean you know how long in advance they ask you mm-hmm. uh, and of course what the piece is there's some shows that i'm working on just at the moment for next summer uh and the very different parameters involved one of them I've done before, and was mm-hmm. the maze, Jonathan Dove piece. I did the UK premiere with with LSO and, and Simon Rattle in, mm. in the Barbican, and uh, this is now a fully staged version of the Grange Festival. So that is a very interesting thing. But I, I know the piece pretty well uh, from the inside, and we're going to put it into a different uh, situation. Uh, I'm also working quite hard on this Dido that we're reviving in Norway, coming mm. up in, in about three three weeks. Uh, which is going to be different to the ones we did before because the orchestra are playing completely off by heart, which will be really, really exciting. Uh, that's, that affects a lot the way we can uh, tell the story. So there's a lot, yeah, it's a, the, the time scale depends. And, and actually, you, you rely a lot on, that's where experience comes in, I think, if you haven't got much time because mm-hmm. you need to be able to make ch- yeah. good choices somehow. Yeah. Something that I find really fun as well is in these productions, you know, when you see the musicians on the stage, not just playing but then they're actually interacting with the actors mm. and the singers i think that's just and i think we need to kind of do more of that mm. I, I don't know i mean how, mm. what's your opinion on that and well i, th- I think you're right i think it's, it's wonderful to see i love i love being able to see it just the, humanizes them you know and yes yeah. it raises a question which which we're which we're grappling with at the moment which is who who are they in the story and i mean i love concert stagings I love being able to see the, the orchestra and I think you can do some you can be incredibly dramatic with those those situations it's not having a set not having a full lighting rig necessarily not having necessarily full costumes 
doesn't limit the dramatic potential at all. On the other, on the contrary, I think it, it can give you enormous opportunities to, to really be genuinely dramatic and really inspire the audience's imagination. And being able to see the music being made is a huge part of that. And, and I think that's good. When they play without music stands and without without the score. It, then they become very available f to be part of the storytelling, and okay. then we have to be very careful, I think, to answer the question who they, who they are in the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Who is the violinist? Who is the, what is the music? What is the role of music? Does it, you know, is it something that we should put centre stage, actually, physically, in terms of the storytelling? Because it could, uh, it could actually be a distraction, and what we want to do is make the music the medium of storytelling yeah. without necessarily being the, being as it were, also seeing that they are the. the the machinery uh, it's difficult to explain because we want we want to see them I think that's very valuable but if if they're then able to act who are they I think that's it could be there's a question that I haven't really answered uh, yet and but I um, we're using puppets and masks in this person yeah. and actually in a sense that's a similar thing mm -hmm. you're making you've got an instrument yeah a, a storytelling instrument so it's going to be fun yeah really fun to, to explore yeah because I know that the OAE musicians, they were on stage for the St John Passion yes. performance as well, and they were doing some acting, and also in the Eno Magic Flute, the principal flautist got up and did a solo, which was yeah. great on stage. Yes. So, yeah. yes, and I've used it before too, and I think um, we're in the, I didn't see the OAE one, the John Passion. No, I didn't get to see it either, I saw the photos. Yes, but I wondered if they had, I think they had music stands for the most part, but then okay. Obligato solos, I think, came out. Yeah. A bit where I was involved as, as a singer with Jonathan Miller, Matthew Passion, mm -hmm. a long time ago. And then that, again, when Peter denied Christ and then yeah. uh, at um the violinist came out at, yeah. as the soloist did and sang over the, the sobbing yeah. Peter. And, and it was incredibly effective. Um, but it was very clear that they were modern, contemporary people, as it were, helping this character from another from another time, from another story, okay. to... to to express this terrible sorrow and pain and guilt that they were feeling. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting, I suppose I need to think about that a bit more. Yeah. Mm. Some people have, you know, very fixed ideas that they don't really want it to be staged and then others yes. have opinions that yes. maybe right. it should be staged and it enhances the drama. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very fine, it's a very grey area, it isn't is, it? It's so, a grey area. I think it, you have to be careful. I think you're right. I think that you have to be careful that you are helping the storytelling and not distracting from it and not trying to hijack it for your own purposes. And I, I think you have to be very careful to to understand what Bach, how Bach is telling the story. And and but on the other hand, it's it's a danger to love the music so much, be so familiar with it that one exactly just let it just wash yeah. over you, yes, isn't it? Yeah, my favorite bit. totally. And, my, and actually, that's a disservice <laughs> to Bach as much as overdoing yes. the drama. I've fallen into that temptation yeah. many times. Well, I know, but I know, but we're all human, and of course yeah. we do love it, and we do love the music. We are, we are my favourite performances of it. And, yeah. But we should, that's part of our job, as the, as the, I'm sure you agree, as the storytellers, as it were, as the modern-day performers of this, to, to bring people back, to, to arrest them with the with the truth of it, so that they get more out of it, mm -hmm. and, and, and have a more human experience than, other, than otherwise they, they might. And that's really important, but the same time we have to be careful we have to be careful that that, that it's that you're doing it for the right reasons that you're trying to communicate this amazing music and story to, to people in a way that's going to move them and not not as a vehicle for your own cleverness or, or yeah self-gratification exactly. exactly yeah i just wonder as well i mean tell me about the process of just 
letting go and just letting the production be as it is you know when you have to sit there in the audience I mean you know what's it like I mean do you are you quite critical or do you just are you quite objective and you quite rational or um because I because I, I think about you know when I put out my podcasts yeah. and they're out there in the open and then I just think Oh, this bit. I could do this at all, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? You'll find the same when you listen to it once it's gone. Yeah. Once it's out there, you listen to it absolutely as someone else would. You put yourself in that position, and that's a very good learning experience, isn't it? Because you do find you've made honest mistakes, as it were, or or things that you would love to have another go at and do better. Uh, I think that I I suppose as a performer myself, I I hope that I'm very much on the performance side. I, I usually. You know, I know that um, work with directors who can get quite frustrated and quite even angry with people who I don't think are trying not to do what they're asked. In some cases, haven't been given the means to do it mm. or don't have them. Um, so I'm generally supportive. It can be a, it can be a sobering experience and, and a frustrating one. Hopefully, one can still give notes and, yeah. and also uh, hopefully one is allowing and wanting and because I think it's an essential part of any good quality uh, performance, allowing a freedom and, and a sense of that things can happen which because the audience is there and it's a different audience every night and you have to tell the story fresh every time that things can be different so so you need to have that risk taking ability and that room for that risk taking so if things go wrong you can't not want that you you it's hopefully you've got, you've set the parameters right and, mm-hmm. and then that people can play within them and make their own mistakes which but i mean i that, yeah i think that one of the pleasures real pleasures for me is seeing good theatre and hearing great music so I tend to get, I tend to be awful to watch shows that I've directed with because I feel very involved okay of and course because it's I, your baby isn't well, it <laughs> so I think I want to I love it when it's I just love it when it's really good and that's what I try and do so if it's really and of course that's my opinion on what's really good I, I, I try and make it as broad an opinion as I can it's always going to be my opinion and I try and make it as educated an opinion as possible what is good what, what, what works what doesn't but, uh, you know, if I think an idea is good because of the reasons that I understand, there may not be the same for everyone, but I will be, I will be excited about that, to watch mm-hmm. it as, as a performer. I will be. I, that's why I do it. I want people to have the thrill that I have in really good theatre, really good music making. Mm. I don't know if you got my email. You have one book, a piece of music to listen to for the rest of your life, and a luxury item. So what would you choose? You know how hard this is. Don't you? Uh, <laughs> Have you been on Desert Island Discs? No. Oh, yeah, they've got to get you on one yeah, day. Yeah. I said someone. I just wrote to a couple of people this afternoon. I was writing to and said, "What would you say?" They, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. And someone said, "I'll say that for Lauren Laverne." Oh. I, I, you know, it's a good answer, but I. It's such. It's such a difficult thing, and of course, it's a good question because because it makes us think, and it probably tells tells people a lot about who we are. I mean, I also, we have to be careful about what, what the purpose is, because if it's about a memory or a, something precious that you've had in your life, then that's a really interesting thing to share. At the same time, there's so much that I haven't read or listened to that I want to. So mm-hmm. actually being on a desert island or at some future life, okay. I could say things that I don't know yet. Okay. And also it's tempting to... Sorry, this is a long No, answer. no, that's fine. Tempting, no, this is a great to answer. to kind of choose, choose things which like a huge box set of the entire works of uh, you know just to give yourself okay. the but I, I mean if musically uh, it's very difficult to, to see past Bach mm-hmm. uh, my, my absolute favourite person most close to my heart always been Schubert okay uh, uh, so 
one of those. As a singer, obviously, I you want, relate to that, don't uh, you? Yes, and just the tenderness and the, and the love in it, in the storytelling. If, if you, could, you could take one opera, it might be Figaro, but at the same time, it might be Act Three of Vertair. You know, there's so many things, and hopefully they're all in my mindset, so the ones I know. And, and I do not yet know well Wagner's room. So I would love to, to get to know that. So is that that's my music? Yeah. Are you are you going to direct a production of The Ring? I'd, I'd love to. I did uh, Flying Dutchman last year, and, okay. and I'm really interested in, in, in Wagner. I, I, I feel I'm more of a classicist at heart okay. than Renaissance. Yes, yes. So, so in a sense, I, I think I'm not a natural Wagnerite, and, and I slightly object to the term because I think he's a storyteller, and that's why he's a Gesamtkunst yeah. person. And I definitely feel interested in someone like that because I feel that's what it is to be an opera yeah. so I, I'm interested in writing different books um, I did think about this a little bit because I love, so again there's so many books that I can't wait to mm. have time to read um, but I've always loved for instance Ian Forster and I just find him very close he's a bit like Schubert for me um, in terms of that sort of tenderness and humanity uh, which are big words aren't they but I think any, you know perhaps people know what I mean I, I don't know I'm uh, George Eliot, you know, uh, but then I couldn't see past Shakespeare because, again, there's so much that I don't know, and there's so much so that's even in the stuff I know well that I, one can go back to and over and over again. So that would be a different one not to say. And what else was it? Luxury. A luxury, yeah. And I thought, well, I'm not, I don't really approve. Or a memento, or yeah, anything nice, really. Yeah. Well, you need the means to play play music on, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, Hot water bottle. Sounds good to me. Either that or a mobile phone. I'd have to say that. Cause... Speaking of hot water bottles, I should probably let you go and steam and warm your voice <laughs> up now. So <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank it's, been you. Really it's been a pleasure to talk pleasure. to you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify, where you can catch up with all of the previous episodes and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube, where you can find sneak previews of every episode. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon.